Let me say this this morning. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit is here as He is everywhere. And what He is doing is He is drawing men and women and boys and girls, all who are here, He is drawing us to focus on Christ and drawing our attention to our Lord and Savior Jesus. If during the worship service, while the choir is singing or while we're singing together, while the scripture is being read or the message is being presented, if in the midst of that there's a stirring in your soul, I will promise you it's not because of me. (laughs) I can't do that. But perhaps it is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you and speaking to me. I've been reminded this week, I've been reading in the book, Flickering Lamps by Henry Blackaby. I'm going over that with our group on Wednesday nights at 7. Love to have any of you that would like to come join us. But we're looking at these seven churches in the book of Revelation, the same ones that I'm preaching through on Sunday mornings. And uh, in the book, Flickering Lamps by Henry Blackaby, he reminds his readers that every time the church gathers, the Holy Spirit is there, working and drawing us into the presence of Christ. And uh, I will have to just admit to you right off the top, oftentimes I am not focused on that as I'm focused on my role in the worship service. And so I've been reminded this past week to pray and to ask the Lord to be in our midst and to draw each of us, wherever we happen to be, you individually and me, draw us to where we need to be, what God would have us to do. And so uh, we're praying that even this morning. I would ask you to listen today to what the Lord has to say to you. Would you stand with me? This morning, we're looking at these seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, today, our attention is going to be called to the church at Thyatira. Anybody ever heard of Thyatira Baptist Church? Anybody? Okay, not many of those around. But in the Bible, one of the prominent churches that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation is a church at a place called Thyatira. We read about it in Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29. The smallest church received the longest words from Jesus. I'm going to read the last part of that uh, this morning as we stand. Then we'll go back and cover that entire passage of Scripture. Jesus says this to the church, starting in verse 25 of Revelation 2. Hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, as you've spoken these words to your church for over 2,000 years, help us to have listening ears. Help us to have tender hearts, and help us to have willing spirits. Thank you, Lord, that whether we even Think about it or not, you are here in our midst, and you are drawing us to Christ. For that, make us thankful and responsive. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So Jesus is evaluating these seven churches in the book of Revelation. And through this evaluation, he is speaking to the church in every generation throughout the world and in our day today, and he's speaking to the church as a whole, but he's also speaking to a church individually. This is a message for Ridgecrest Baptist Church and for every other church. So let's turn our attention to see what the Lord said to the church at Thyatira to learn what the Lord is saying to us individually, even yet today. Here's the message of the Lord. First of all, I want you to notice that Jesus 
is the Son of God. If I can't get an amen to that, we just better pack up and go home. Jesus is the Son of God. Notice in verse 18, To the angel or the messenger of the church at Thyatira write the words of the Son of God. Jesus here identifies himself as the Son of God. The only time in addressing these seven churches that Jesus calls himself the Son of God. Now let's think about Thyatira. In case you're not up to speed on Thyatira in the days of the New Testament, let me share with you three qualities or three descriptions of Thyatira that the historians tell us were true about that time in that day. On one hand, it was a military outpost, which is very common of any city of any size. They often had a military presence, and Thyatira, though it was a small city, certainly had a military outpost. Secondly, it was known for its textiles. Kind of reminds me of Durham back in the day, doesn't it? When there was tobacco and textiles and, and, the, and the, all the mills were running. And so, so that was the prominent uh, commerce there in Thyatira. And with, those commercial cent- with that commercial center and textile productions were these trade guilds. These trade guilds. They were the groups of skilled craftsmen. They would work some in this area and some in that area. And there in Thyatira, these trade guilds often produced idols. These idols you could, you could purchase and you could put in your home and you could worship your own little idols. So idolatry was, was identified with Thyatira and also sexual immorality. Now you might say, well, Pastor Mark, every church you've mentioned so far seems to have this issue with sexual immorality. Am I hearing you wrong? Well, no, you're not hearing me wrong. It was true in that day, just like it is true in our day. Amen? Yes. And so that was an issue. And then thirdly, it was a religious town. It was a religious town. The idolatry that was there in the midst of all of that was a temple to Apollo. Apollo was known as the sun god. Perhaps that's why Jesus identified himself as not the sun god, but the son of God who made the sun, the creator. That's who Jesus is. And here Jesus identifies himself not only as the son of God, but he identifies himself as all-seeing And all-knowing, notice what he says there uh, in verse number 18, who has eyes like a flame of fire, fire representing light in a darkness. And so Jesus is saying, I am all-seeing and all-knowing. Nothing happens in the darkness that the light of God is not able to see it. And also he identifies himself as the righteous judge. It says he identifies himself as the one whose feet are like burnished bronze. Bronze and all that being a, a picture of, of like almost like steel-toed boots, if you can identify with those. One who has judgment and has authority and who judges. That's who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. Not He was the Son of God, but He is the Son of God. It was true in the days of the New Testament. It is true in our day. It is true for all of eternity. Jesus is the Son of God. But notice secondly, Jesus knows all about the ministry that we are accomplishing. When Jesus looked at the church at Thyatira, just like the other churches we've talked about, just like the other churches we will talk about, just like this church and every other church, Jesus knows all about the ministry that we are accomplishing. Notice what Jesus says in verse 19, I know, I know, I have knowledge of. You know, the Bible gives a description of of God as being omniscient, all-knowing, of all things at all times. There's nothing that exists by way of knowledge that God does not know. And so Jesus says, I know. And then he gives a list of six commendations to the church. 
And these commendations are, are great things that the church is doing in the area of ministry. In fact, I was thinking this week, as I read periodically books about the church, I was thinking if I was going to write a book and say, these six things will make your church a great church. If you want to have a great church, you do these six things. And I wrote a book, and the table of contents would say, here are the six things. The six things given to the church at Thyatira would be the six things in the contents of that book. Here, here they are. A great church, chapter 1 would say, is an active church. An active church. Jesus says, I know your works. I know the things that you're doing. I know the ministry that you're accomplishing. I know that you are active for Jesus. That's a good grade, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to, for Jesus to be able to say about Ridgecrest Baptist Church, I know what you're doing and you're doing a good job. Amen? Amen? Yes. Hopefully he can. Another commendation, he says, is a great church is a loving church. He says, your love. I know your love. I know all about the love you have for each other. I know all about the love you have for me. I know all about this. Remember, in Ephesus, he, he criticized the church. I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love, he told the church at Ephesus. But here at Thyatira, he says, I know your love, and it's a good thing. The third chapter would be that a great church is a, tr is a church that is trusting God. And he says, I know your faith. I know that you believe God. I know that you act on your faith. You don't just have a, 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 a vocal faith that you say you believe, but you have an active faith in that you do what you say you believe. Your faith actually dictates how you act in life. What a great thing to say about a church, that they trust God. Then the fourth chapter would be, a great church is a serving church. He says, I know your service. I know that you meet the needs of others in Jesus' name. That when somebody is sick, you take a meal over. When somebody is without their car, or in this case, their chariot perhaps, back in Thyatira. When somebody needs a ride somewhere, you go pick them up and take them. If, if somebody has a, a, a difficulty with, with a marriage, or with their kids, or with a job, or with finances, you are there for them, and I know all about how you, you serve and meet the needs of Jesus, meet people's needs in Jesus' name. You do this, and it makes you a great church. The fifth chapter would be, a great church is a determined church. A determined church. Notice what he says here. I know that you have patient endurance. Patient endurance. Does anybody here struggle with patience like I do? I'm just talking to Harriet back there. Harriet had some, was in a car wreck and broke her arm. She's got this thing on her hand now. And, 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 and here, it looks like a harp. You can just play it like a guitar if you would. But it, it's frustrating, isn't it, Harriet? It's, it's frustrating. And and, and, and to have patient endurance is a very difficult thing. Now, now you know the, the, the patience prayer, right? You know how to pray for patience. Lord, I pray for patience, and I want it right now. <laughs> but this church was determined in that they were facing hardships, and they were patiently enduring those hardships. That's a great church. Then the sixth and last chapter is this. A great church is a strengthening church. Strengthening being a present tense, ongoing. This is a church that it's not just that they were strong back in the past or that they are strong now, but it said, Jesus says, I know that your latter works exceed the first. What he's saying is what you're doing now is stronger than what you were doing then. And it's a picture that the church is growing in its strength and in its ministry and in its impact for the gospel on an ongoing basis. They're not just satisfied with what happened in the past. They're eagerly working to continue reaching and growing into the future. Wouldn't that make a great church? 
Wouldn't that make a great church? <laughs> These six qualities are great qualities that any church should aim to have. And Jesus knows all about the ministry that we are accomplishing. But notice thirdly, Jesus knows all about the sin that we are tolerating. As with the other churches, Jesus points out the wonderful things that are happening for the gospel. But then he says, but I have this against you. In spite of all of the wonderful things you're doing, I have this against you. And here's what he said. Just one thing listed in verse 20. I have this against you that you tolerate. There's our word, tolerate. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This seems like an epidemic in all the cities and in all the churches that Jesus is speaking to. And, and likewise, I would say today, it seems like it's such an epidemic in the, in the Christian world in which we live as we hear about pastors and seminary professors and, and national leaders, even in our own Southern Baptist Convention. We hear these things on an ongoing basis in recent times, and we have to say that what was true in the Bible then is still going on today, even among those like us who call themselves Southern Baptists. So, what do we do? To the church at, at Ephesus, Jesus said, you've abandoned your first love. You've, you've gotten out of whack with love. To the church at Pergamum, Jesus says, you compromise. You've compromised your faith. To the church at Thyatira, the issue is toleration. You are tolerating things that you should not tolerate. And this, this whole issue of compromise and toleration, these are, are popular concepts in the world in which we live. Maybe more so today than they were a generation ago or even generations before that. But, but periodically throughout history, if you read history, you'll find that there are, 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 are ongoing periods where, where these things, this immorality, is, 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 is at a higher level than in other periods of time. But over time, it, it's just kind of ebbed and flowed. Different times, different ways. And certainly it was true back in the days of the New Testament. We hear things like, well, you do your, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. I'll tolerate what you do and you tolerate what I do. We'll tolerate each other, and that way we'll get along with each other because we're, we won't call each other out. I won't criticize you. You don't criticize me. See, what had happened in Thyatira is that somebody in the church was teaching the acceptance and, and the compromise of both idolatry and sexual immorality. Probably the sexual immorality had a religious tone to it, a religious activity to it because of the idolatry especially. They had a, a trade guild. They had, they had the, the idol makers and the idolatry that was there in Thyatira. Usually those were connected to some sort of, of sexual immorality in the practice of that religion. And so these things were knitted together. And this idolatry was pulling people away from the one true God and pulling people into sin. And then there was somebody in the church that was promoting this. Perhaps they were promoting it as a way to get along out in the community, to not make waves out in the community, to not draw criticism to the church, to, to maybe avoid some persecution or, or being called a name or, or to make things go. You know, just go along to get along. If we'll just go along to get along outside the church, we'll, we'll come together and worship. But when we go out into the community, let's just blend into the community because you know what they say. When in Rome, do what? It was Romans. 
And you also know this too, what happens in Vegas, what? Yeah. Only problem is it really doesn't. And even if it stayed in Vegas, it would stay also within the sight of the one who has eyes like flaming fire to whom nothing in the darkness stays in the darkness. So Jezebel, probably not her real name. This is a reference most likely to, to the book of 1 Kings chapters 16 to 19 in the Old Testament. Jezebel was, one, was a queen who married into to, to the line of kings of, of, of Israel and who led the, the people of Israel to idolatry and to worship the, the, the idol called Baal. B-A-A-L. You probably heard that all throughout the Old Testament. There was this ongoing interaction with the Baal worshipers. And so most likely Jesus is saying that this teaching in your church now corresponds to the teaching of Jezebel in the Old Testament. And, and then we fast forward even to today, we see the same thing permeating today. Teaching believers to compromise with the culture. And Thyatira, what was happening is the same thing that happens in many of our, of our churches even today, is that the church tolerates that, and it tolerates that teaching. And, and maybe there were some, they disagreed with that teaching. They, they disagreed with those in the church who were compromising, but they said, well, let's not stir things up. The last thing we need is a church fight. We don't want a church fight, do we? No, we don't want that. So, so we'll, just, we'll just go along to get along inside the church. Let's not offend anyone. We don't want anybody to take offense, in fact, because you know, they've been here for years and years, and, and you know, they've do contribute financially and, and they do stay in the nursery and, and you know they even they, you know they, they pass out bulletins and sing in the choir. We don't want to just offend anybody who might be coming to the church. And of course we know this too that nobody's perfect. I mean I'm not I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Why who are we to to to, to call anybody else out for the sin that they may struggle with or get involved with? In fact some may think that because of all the good things that were happening you, you just, all these good things are happening at our church. We don't want to mess it up by calling out these people over here that are compromising. We're just going to tolerate that and just we're going to trust all these six good things that we're going to write a book about. All those will outweigh this sin over here. But here's the problem with that. Warren Wiersbe says this, No amount of loving and sacrificial works can compensate for tolerance of evil. You see, see that this, this is the same argument that, that oftentimes people will use about their own salvation. They'll say, well, you know, I'm not a perfect person, but, but you know, I go to church and I help people that are in need and, and, and I volunteer down at the hospital and I go to church on Sundays and, and I do all these good religious things and the hope is that all my religious good things will outweigh any bad things I'm doing over here on the side. The only problem is that won't work. It will not work for our salvation because we need a Savior. A Savior who calls us to turn away from a, a wicked and evil and sinful lifestyle and to put our eyes on Jesus and to follow after Jesus in saving faith because of what He's done for us. That's, that's what we need. And likewise, as a church, we can't say the same thing, can we? That, oh yeah, we, well we may be tolerating this immorality over here. We may be tolerating this idolatry over here. But we have a great Awana program. And our youth are going on a mission trip to Haiti. And we got this group that's going over here, and this is happening over here. We don't want to mess anything up, so we're just going to let this kind of lie here on the side. That's what was happening there in the church at Thyatira. But here's the thing is, you may, be, you may say, I know this is happening. I know there are those who are compromising, but I'm not going to join in. I'm just going to tolerate. But to tolerate is to be guilty even if you're not joining in. 
when you turn the other way, when you do nothing, when you, when you tolerate sin, when you fail to speak up about it, you're giving silent consent to what's going on. If I know about it, and I don't say anything about it or do anything about it, then I'm saying to those who are involved with it, it's okay with me. And that leads to temptation. The temptation for them to continue in whatever sin it is, and the temptation for me to maybe want to try out what they're doing. Now let's contrast the church at Thyatira with the church at Ephesus. In Ephesus, Jesus told the church, He says, here's what I have against you. You've abandoned your first love, said walked away from love, but He said about them to the positive, you're judging your false teachers. Those in your midst that are teaching false doctrine, you're calling them out. You're not letting them stay. But you're also not loving anybody. The church at Thyatira was just the opposite. You sure are loving everybody there in Thyatira, Jesus says, but you're also tolerating the false teachers. Both of those are extremes to avoid. On the one hand, we don't want to be so legalistic and so unloving that, that we fail to share the love of God and the holiness of God and, and, the, and, the, and the judgment of God. And also, we don't want to be so tolerating that we, that we remind people or let them know they don't need a Savior because everything they're doing is fine like it is. And the church is called to be right in the middle of those. In fact, in Ephesians 4.15, it says for us to speak the truth in love. Both of those are true. Truth and love together. Think with me, with you will, about, about a process that would lead us down the road but that begins with toleration. When, when we tolerate sins, toleration can lead to temptation. And temptation can lead to participation. And participation can lead to sinful abomination before God. And if we're not careful, when we are tolerating of things that are out in the culture and the people want to bring into the church, we're, we're losing our own identity. We're tolerating something the Bible calls sin. And then we now are at a greater risk through temptation of joining in with them. So Jesus knows all about the sin that we're tolerating. I want you to notice, fourthly, Jesus calls us to repent of sin or face judgment. This is harsh, isn't it? He calls us to repent of our sin or face judgment, to, to change our mind, to change our direction. He calls us to, to stop pursuing, going after earthly, worldly things and, start, and change our mind so that we're now focused on and following after the things of God in Christ. Two things about Jesus we see here in regards to His judgment. One is He is patient. I want to get a big amen. When I'm going to say that again. I want a big amen because I'm so thankful with me that he is patient. He is patient. And Lord knows I need his patience. I am so thankful. Y'all said amen real loud about my patience and my needing his patience. I understand. <laughs> but listen, I'm the last one to stand up here and to pronounce judgment on anybody. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm the one standing here in need of the greatest mercy from God and His greatest patience given towards me. And I'm so thankful for it. Notice in verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her, this is the Jezebel character, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. I gave her time. Because not only was the church there at Thyatira enduring because they were patient, they were enduring patiently, but Jesus endures patiently when we wander away in sin. And He calls us back. 
He calls us back. I, I know. I, I, I just speak for myself. I know that at times when I've gotten away from where I know the Lord wants me to be, He has called me back using the words of a friend. He has called me back using the words of a song. He's called me back using the words of Scripture. He's called me back when I've been quiet enough to listen to His Holy Spirit in my life. And He's been so patient with me. And I'm not calling for Him to end His patience at any time. But notice Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. He is patient, but not forever. Notice also that He will judge. Verse 22. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children, her followers, dead. Notice who He addresses here. He addresses the leader, whoever this Jezebel is. He addresses the participants, those who have joined in with her, and He addresses the followers, those who may not have been right there in the middle of it, but they are being drawn in. That's why it's so important that, that we be, be mindful that when we tolerate, there's a temptation to participate. And that's what's happening here. We need to recognize sin offends God, and it brings His judgment, especially when there's a failure to repent. And any time God's judgment comes, if you, read, if you read through the pages of Scripture, when God judges, and you see He judged here, He judged here, He judged here, and every single time beforehand, He announces a warning through His prophet. He announces an invitation, turn and come back to Me, and I will forgive you, and I will bless you if you will only turn and come to Me. He always invites, and He always warns. And when judgment comes... Is because people have failed to respond to his invitation. To the one who will not repent of their sin and trust Christ as Savior, there's the judgment of God that will come for all eternity. To the believer, the Christian, the one who knows Christ as Savior but gets engaged in sin of any number of different kinds and the Lord's words to us are, repent of that sin, come back to me. But when not, then even to the point of death, it may well be that God's judgment will come. And so the message for us is to repent while there is time. While He is patient, while He is waiting, while He is inviting. And, and let, me, let me be real clear about this. The word repent is not a harsh word. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. The same way a parent would say to a child, don't eat that poison, put it down and step away. Don't walk out in the middle of the road or a car is going to hit you. Turn around and walk away. Don't make this terrible choice that will, that will take you down a path of immorality. When a parent speaks to a child like that, it's out of love and out of desire and out of a drawback. And when Jesus speaks to us that way, He's doing it because He loves us. Notice number five here. That is that the judgment on sin by Jesus is a testimony to His authority. Jesus here is identifying himself as the Son of God as opposed to the Son God. He is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, there are two things that we see here that Jesus reveals about himself. He says, when judgment comes, when I have announced an invitation to come and repent, turn and come back and you'll be blessed. But when, when people don't and judgment comes, Jesus says, then all the churches will know that two things are true. When God judges... 
It's a testimony that these two things are true. Number one, that Christ knows. It's a testimony to all the churches. They will know that I am He who searches mind and heart. He searches our minds and He searches our heart. You can step into a court of law. You can lie through your teeth. And if you do it well enough, you may get off scot-free. Even though you've committed outward physical acts that are atrocious and illegal. And inwardly, your heart may be as black as coal. But if you can lie yourself good enough, you might be able to get out of it. But not with Christ. Not with Christ. Christ may, or the, the world may look at us and see, oh, they're so good, they're so spotless, they're so, they're so pure, they're so moral. But inwardly, the lust and inwardly the, the anger and inwardly the evil that goes through our system, when, 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 when we fail to come to Christ in repentance for that and He judges us, He says, then, then the world, the church will know that Jesus searches our minds and He searches our hearts. And also that He judges. And He judges fairly. And He judges righteously. He says, I will give to each of you according to your works. Do you know the works are the outward things that we do? And for all of us, this is true. The outward things we do are, are a reflection of the inward heart and mind that we have. When you leave here today and you go do whatever you do, if somebody's watching you uh, from a distance and you don't even know it, what they're, they're seeing outwardly what your mind and your heart are like by the way that you treat a person at the restaurant, the, the wait staff, by the way that you treat a, a husband or a wife, the way that you treat a, a parent or a child, the way that you treat, treat other people, the way that you act, the things that you do when nobody else is around and you don't think anybody's seeing. Those outward things reveal our mind and our heart and Jesus knows and Jesus judges. And so, so this ought to make us certainly fearful, but also it ought to make us repentant and it ought to make us thankful. That Jesus loves and cares enough to tell us these things while there is time. Thank you, Jesus, for telling us while there is still time. Number six, I want you to notice this. Jesus calls believers to hold on. See, there were some in the church, they were, they were watching these things go on. They were watching this compromise. They, 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 were, they were maybe part of the tolerating group. I don't know, but, 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 but there, were, there, were, there were, were those who were holding on to their faith. We see it in verses 24 to 28. A couple of things are important here and to, to note. One is that there are always some who are not unfaithful. You know what we like to say when we get caught doing something? You know what we like to say, don't we? We say this. Well, everybody else is doing it. Don't our kids do that? Why did you take that cookie when I told you not to take a cookie? She took a cookie, right? Why did you cheat on that test at school? Everybody else was cheating on the test at school. And so there are those that would say, when standing in the presence of the judgment of God, and God says, you're guilty of this sin, this sin, and this sin. And we want to say, but everybody else is doing it. The Lord says to us here with great encouragement, there are always some who are not unfaithful. It may be the many, but it may be the few. and Sometimes it may just be the one. Notice in verse 24, But to the rest, the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, 
who are not following this Jezebel character, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. What are, what are these deep things of Satan? That's what was going on. This Jezebel was teaching, and we're bringing in idolatry and, and sexual practices that were immoral according to the Scripture. All these things were happening. And so Jesus said, there are those of you, you're not participating in that. And, and my ears and antenna perk up, and I say, well, well what, are, what are these deep things of Satan? That sounds curious. That sounds... Interesting. That sounds, that sounds tempting maybe to want to find out more about that. The answer should be this. Well, I don't know about the deep things of Satan. I didn't learn about the deep things of Satan. I don't care about the deep things of Satan because I would much rather pursue the truth in Christ than to pursue a lie in Satan. So there are some who were not unfaithful. There also is an encouragement to the faithful. If you are one of the faithful... And you may look around and you may see all the other churches doing things that are immoral and idolatrous, but you're holding on. And you may look around even at people in the church. You may say, well, this person's engaged in this. This person's engaged in that. This is going on over here. And you, you may say, all this may be happening, but I'm going to hold on. I'm going to be faithful no matter what anybody else does. That's what we have the opportunity to say. Notice in verse 24 and 25, it says, To you I say, to those of you that are being faithful, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. If you're facing difficulties or living in a culture of compromise or toleration, think about these brief words from Jesus in verse 25 of Revelation 2. Hold fast what you have until I come. You know what Jesus is telling us from those few words? He's coming. <laughs> he's coming. And when He comes, He's going to straighten everything out. And when He comes, He's going to make everything correct. He's going to bring everything to order. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to set things the way that they should be set because He is God and He is coming. So He's saying to you and I, in a world of compromise and toleration, He's saying to us, hold on to what you have. Sometimes we may be asked, maybe tempted to question, well, what is it we have? What, what is it I'm supposed to hold on to here? Let me give you a couple things to hold on to. Number one, hold on to your testimony. Hold on to your testimony of faith. Because whatever anybody else has done, whatever anybody else is teaching, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that He is able to keep me until that day. He is, he is faithful to hold on to me because I have reached out to Him in faith, and because He is who He is, he will hold on to me. That's my testimony. It's not about me. It's all about Him. Hold on to your testimony. Hold on to the Spirit of God that lives in our hearts, that convicts us when we sin. And again, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, like the word repentance, are not to be looked at as negative, but as the most beautiful things that God gives us because the convicting power of the Holy Spirit leads us away from evil and towards Christ. Hold on to the Spirit. Hold on to the Word. We believe this to be God's Word, don't we? It doesn't just contain God's Word. It is God's Word. From Genesis to Revelation, or as I've heard, from contents to maps. You think about that after a while, and you'll get it. The whole thing is God's Word. Does Hold on to that. Hold on to your Christian relationships. And find one other person or two other people or maybe your, your Sunday school connect group or maybe a, a group within the church or a group of people in your neighborhood who are Christians and say to each other, we're going to hold on no matter what. We're going to hold on. Hold on to your church. Hold on to your church. The church over time 
has proven itself to stumble and bumble and get off track and to repent and to come back and experience revival. Hold on to your church and be a presence for Christ in your church. In fact, would you, would you, I just want you to say those two words, hold on. Would you say those two words with me? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Hold on. Now, I want you to think about a second. Is there one other person that you know right now they're struggling a little bit in their faith? And they may be tempted to compromise or tempted to tolerate. They may be, they may be going through a rough time and their, their faith is wavering somewhat. And I want, you to, I want you to say those words, hold on again. But I want you to say them out loud now. And I want you to say them in your mind to that person and say it with the conviction that you want them to come through and hold on because we know Jesus is coming and when He comes, everything's going to be alright. So on three, I want you to say, hold on and say it to that person. Ready? One, two, three. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So the encouragement to the faithful is simply this, hold on. Then there's a third thing here, and that is there's a reward for faithfulness. When we are faithful, there is a reward that comes our way. Let me tell you real quickly, uh, there are two parts of this. Verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. The one who is faithful. Jesus says there's two things. One is you will rule with Christ. To rule alongside of Christ. Verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. The person who is faithful to the end will rule alongside of Christ under the authority of Christ because they have proven themselves faithful with the Spirit of Christ and the Word of Christ in the situation where the whole world may be compromising. You're holding firm and there's a reward for that faithfulness. Not only though the rule with Christ, but identity with Christ. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. Identity with Christ. In, in Revelation uh, 22, verse 16, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. This, the stars, Jesus is identified with the star. And so he's saying here that, that I will give him the morning star. I will give him my identity. Just as we talked about the white rock with the new name. And all of that is true. But he's also going to give us his identity in our lives. When we are faithful, there's a reward for faithfulness. And one one last thing to, to share here with you this morning. That is that Jesus calls each of us to hear and respond. Each one of us, He calls us to hear and to respond. That's why I started with this, this passage at the beginning of the message. Verse 29, He who has an ear, if you can hear these words, if you can hear what the Word of God is saying, if you can hear it, if you can hear what the Spirit says to the churches, uh, listen and do what it says. And the message, is, the message is, 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 is constant throughout this church and the other churches, and that is where there is sin to repent. If you've never come to faith in Christ, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, turn and repent from that and follow after Christ and embrace Him in belief. If, if you're a Christian and, and there's some disobedience in your life, you may think that, that nobody else knows about it. You've got it swept under the rug and hidden from, from your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your mom and your daddy and, and, and your, uh, your Uncle Sally, aunt, no, uh, Uncle, Uncle, Uncle Steve and Aunt Sally, whoever it may be. You've got it hid from everybody. But it's not hid from Him. It's not here from Christ. And if there's sin in your life, don't tolerate it, but turn from it in repentance. That's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, the church at Pergamum, the church at Thyatira. That's what Jesus says to the churches in our world today. That's what He says to Ridgecrest Baptist Church. That's what He says to you. And that's what He says to me. Don't tolerate the sin in your life. I was listening to Oldies Radio yesterday 
on, uh, on, on the oldie station. They were playing the old Casey Kasem Top 40 countdowns. So I was listening to that yesterday when I left from the kids' fishing tournament. We had an awesome time, by the way, yesterday. Uh, amazing, amazing fishing tournament. But anyway, I was listening to, to the oldies with Casey Kasem, and he was introducing this new young uh, singer who uh, was just making her mark on the, on the scene. Her name was Whitney Houston. She was 21 years old. And she, she's been singing for, for years. She's a beautiful young lady. She's a wholesome young lady. She's got all these wonderful qualities going for her. Her song is rising up the charts for the first time. And she's got, he said, a bright future ahead. Oh, if he only knew what a great major singing star Whitney Houston would be. But what Casey Kasem did not know then, and what Whitney Houston did not know then, is the danger of toleration. Whitney Houston married a man who did drugs. And she tolerated it. She didn't, she didn't take part. She tolerated it. But over time, toleration led to temptation, led to participation. And if you know the story, it ruined her life and then ended her life. And it started with toleration of it in somebody else's life. There's a danger when you and I tolerate sin in others and when we consider it even for ourselves. Juan Sanchez of Nine Marks Ministry says... It's a dangerous time for the church. There's no denying it. Every church is in danger, and that includes your church. In the name of love, the church is tempted to not address sin. Love, after all, is patient. So when it comes to speaking the hard truth of the Bible to those we love, we're far too often willing to tolerate sin. And he says, is this the culture of your church? Is the culture of our church to tolerate things because we love people? We don't want to be so guilty of, of, of love that we, that we miss out on, 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 on the judgment of what is right and what is wrong. We don't want to be so focused on the judgment of what is right and wrong that we fail to love people. We want to love them so much that we're willing to say what needs to be said and to call people to turn from their sin and to turn back to the things of Christ. On the bottom of your listening guide, I put a very simple prayer. I want to end with this. And the prayer is this, Lord... I know. I know where compromise is in my life. I know in my life where toleration of sin is. I know. I know it in my mind. I know it in my heart. Lord, I know. But Lord, <laughs> you know. You know as well. I've hidden it from all these other people. But Lord, you know because you search the mind and you search the heart. Lord, you know. And Lord, I hate that you know, but you know. And I repent, and I return to you. I would ask you today, I would ask you even in the coming days, to keep that listening guide handy and to look at that last little prayer and find a, a way to honestly say to him, Lord, I know and you know, and now I'm repenting of that and coming back to you. In fact, right now where you are, just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I wonder if there's something in your heart or in your mind that you have been wrestling with or maybe, maybe even just now as I've shared the message this morning that you have had brought to your mind, maybe even by the Holy Spirit. And is there something in, in your life? I'm not talking about everybody else. They, they, we've all got our own problems. But, but in your life, is there anything right now that, that, that you can begin to consider praying that prayer to the Lord? Lord, I know and you know and Lord, I repent. I'm turning from that. I'm returning to you 
in faith, trust in Christ as Savior. I'm turning to you in repentance. I'm, as a believer, I'm coming back to you. Lord, help me not to be guilty of toleration or compromise or participation. Help me, Lord, to be the one that's holding on, knowing that you are coming soon. And Lord, please come soon. Our Heavenly Father, folks have been so kind today to listen to these words. And I pray now, Lord, that at a time of response, that you would help us within our minds and our hearts, outwardly as appropriate, to do the things that need to be done to come to you, to turn back, to repent, to follow, to obey, to hold on for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song we've heard perhaps many, many times, but it really is, is what needs to happen in the world that we live in. And it's simply this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Can we do that today as we sing? You do that right where you are. For some, some way, some reason, somehow God has spoken to you and you'd like somebody to give you a word of encouragement, a prayer, a prayer, you meet me down here at the front as we sing. I'll be glad to do that with you. But let's do business with God. Let's sing together.